0: Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Ephesians first. We're going to look at the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, which has something in it that relates to what I'm teaching on today. And then we're going to look at the primary verse of Scripture for the morning message. Ephesians chapter 1 beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Now, if you'll turn to chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, Made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And now lastly, if you'll turn to the book of first Peter, second Peter actually, chapter three, we're going to look at the last verse in the book of Second Peter. First Peter chap 2nd Peter excuse me chapter 3 verse 18 But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen It's a great benediction isn't it Certainly it is Occasionally the sight of a stunted body brings Pleasure to those who view the individual. Such was the case with Charles Sherwood Stratton. Mr. Stratton was born. At birth, he weighed nine pounds and eight ounces. However, at the age of six months, his body quit growing. He was 25 inches in length. He was maybe above average at that particular age. When he reached the age of four, he was only 26 inches in height. As an adult, he topped out at 39 inches, 3 feet and 3 inches. He was a distant relative of Phineas T. Barnum. You know the name. The man who really brought circus to America. He was his fifth cousin twice removed, whatever that means. Maybe that's a 25th cousin or a 10th cousin, but it's a... Distant cousin, Mr. Stratton's parents deceased when he was still a minor, and he was adopted actually by P.T. Barnum. He was a young man whom Barnum taught to sing, to dance. He had the native talent to do that, but he was given the opportunity, the encouragement to develop those talents which he had. He also was good at slapstick humor. And he actually became a very wealthy man as he grew from minority into seniority. He was known as General Tom Thumb. But more often, the sight of a stunted body, rather than evoking a sense of pleasure, it evokes a sense of pity and a sense of compassion on our part. Failure to grow up isn't limited to physical dwarfism, though. It's also true among many who are believers in Jesus Christ. Hence, this passage of Scripture that we're considering together this morning. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are facts that are evident in that command about spiritual growth, the first of which is, and it's obvious to you, it would not be a command if it were optional. We are commanded to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, you probably, when your children, if you have children, were born and they began to grow, you didn't yell at them, grow today now, grow today. We couldn't command our children to grow, could we? The reason we couldn't was because there was a timetable that God had built into them for growth. We did what we could do. We provided the kind of nurturing which they needed from a physical point of view and a psychological point of view. We loved them. We fed them. We did everything we could to help them to have the best environment in which to grow. But God commands us as his children to grow. And interestingly enough, God is the supplier of the growth. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians 3, 7, God causes the growth. If I have grown spiritually, I can trace it back to God's influence and activity in my life. God provides the stimulus for spiritual growth in our lives. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 and 13, The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So it would seem on the surface of that passage of Scripture that my growth depends on me. But when you get to the bottom line of that statement, it is God who is at work in you or me to stimulate us to growth. I'll come back to that. A little later in the message. But hold that thought in your mind. Spiritual growth is not optional. It is commanded. Here's another thing that the text teaches us. Spiritual growth is to be ongoing. The command is a present tense command. Which simply put means keep on growing. There will never be a moment in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you should not be in growth mode. We are to continue to go forward in our spiritual life. And we're to be men and women who seek to respond properly to every stimulus that the Lord gives us to grow. The Christian life is designed to be ever-growing. You and I will never outgrow the need to grow. No Christian ever thinks, no mature Christian at least, No true believer in Jesus never thinks that he or she has arrived. Take the Apostle Paul as an example. He says in the book of Philippians chapter 3, after he said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So the Apostle Paul was a man who was aged at the time. He describes himself in a piece written to the man known Philemon at the very same time that he wrote the book of Philippians. And he describes himself as aged. He was an old man by his own description. And consequently, here's a man who's been following Jesus for 30 years at least, and he's still needing to grow. He says, I'm not there yet. I am pressing on toward the goal for, to which God has called me heaven in Christ Jesus, but I'm still not there. It's impossible. Listen carefully. For you and me to maintain status quo in spiritual life. Because the spiritual growth that we are commanded to be participants in is a spiritual growth that is on an inclined plane. It's not perceptible many times, but it's true. We're following Jesus, and Jesus is taking us ever closer to the Father as we follow Him. And consequently, we cannot settle for a certain achievement in our minds, whatever that may mean, of spiritual maturity. We should always be wanting to grow. And I will submit to you this morning that if you really know Jesus and you're really following Christ, you will not reach a point of wanting to stop growing. It is inevitable in us that we shall grow. In the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, we who know Jesus Christ will not make a lifestyle of sinning because the seed of God has taken up residence in us. Who might that seed be? Well, it's the person of Jesus Christ. By the Spirit of Christ. And greater is He who is in us, John goes on to write later in that beautiful epistle of 1 John, than he who is in the world. We have a foe, do we not? But what we also know is we have the One who is greater than that formidable foe, Satan, the devil. So we are to keep on growing. I must add that though spiritual growth is ongoing. It is gradual. And this puzzles us. And it throws us off. If you don't know this, I hope you get it today. There are several examples of this in Scripture. We'll take Paul as an example. I've mentioned him already. You may know that initially, after being saved, he began to preach the gospel with great effect in Damascus, where he got saved. But also, he had to get out of town quickly. Why? Because the Jewish community there was hostile toward him. Now, remember, he was coming to Damascus with a letter in his hand from the rulers of the Jewish nation, the Sanhedrin, with orders to arrest and, if need be, physically harm people who are of Jewish descent who had seen Jesus as the Messiah and converted to Jesus. But the Apostle Paul, there was an attempt on his life. He had come there to take life. When he got there, other people tried to take his life for the same reason. He had come to take the new believers in Damascus' life because he was preaching the gospel. He was following the Lord Jesus Christ. He made his way after the escape to Jerusalem. You may know that. And the book of Galatians tells us he spent about half a month there. He consulted with Peter. He talked to James. He talked to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Then he left for three years. He evidently was alone, basically, in what is known as Arabia. It probably would be the Sinai Peninsula area, but that was considered to be Arabia. He was alone there. One wonders what he did in those three years. Well, Here's what I think God was doing, which is more important than what you and I do in our following Christ, in our ongoing growth. God did what He commonly does in the life of a believer who is following Jesus and who is growing. There comes a moment when God sets the person aside after that person having a powerful testimony. And didn't Paul have a powerful testimony? He had a stark change from what he was before and what he became. But he set him apart in order to strip him of self-reliance. There was the need in his life for self-reliance to die down. And we know this was not something that ended at that point. After the three years, he began to circulate and began... To do the work of God, Barnabas went and brought him down to Antioch. And he and Barnabas formed a missionary team, the first missionary team. But there were later occasions when he was in his own way set apart again. You remember the thorn in the flesh he speaks of in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12? And he says, it was given to me in order to keep me from getting proud, is what he said. So, what happens to us many times... And I think this is the norm rather than the exception to the rule. We're following Jesus. We're growing. Now, think about this in your own walk with Christ. Was there a time when you were just growing by leaps and bounds? Have there been moments like that in your life? And then all of a sudden, almost abruptly, it seemed that you were not growing anymore. And it bothered you a lot. Because you enjoyed the joy of seeing the fruit that was born by the Lord through your life. Well, many times that happens. And it happens periodically in people's lives who follow the Lord to help us to be stripped of our sense of self-reliance. God's way is not the hurry way. God is not in a hurry. He does things gradually in our growth. Listen to what St. Vincent de Paul said about the idea of our growth being gradual. In this world, things that are naturally destined to endure for a long time are the slowest in reaching maturity. We are destined to last a long time, aren't we? Eternity, for a fact, and we are to grow gradually. Our growth is to be ongoing, but don't be surprised if it's gradual. If we were to take the time and we don't have the time, I'm just going to mention two or three names. George Mueller is a name many of you know as the great man of faith from Great Britain. Also, Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, who was used by God to open a new era of evangelical impact on that great nation of China. And Amy Carmichael, Carmichael, another great missionary soul to India, where from her sickbed administered an orphanage for young girls who had been left to be prostitutes. And she would get these children and bring them in and give them a place where they could be loved and they could meet Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 19th century, four examples of people. It took them, when you study their lives carefully, it took 15 years after they had been involved in Christian work before they understood what we're talking about today. That the growth of a believer in Jesus Christ is an inevitability but it's something that is slow, gradual many times. It's almost imperceptible, and probably it's a good thing that it's imperceptible in our lives, lest we become prey to pride in the process. When the 120 were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, and there was a rushing wind, and the Scripture says there were tongues of fire which rested on their heads, but the people upon whom those tongues rested could not see the fire on their own heads, could they? They could see it in others' lives, but they could not see it in their own lives. When the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, you may not even have a clue that He's working. You may think He's working in other people, but He's not working in me. It would be good for you of course, at any point in your spiritual life, to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians thirteen five. But also, not to fondle your feelings so much as it relates to your spiritual growth. Your spiritual growth certainly, at times, has a lot of wonderful warmth in it. But sometimes, it's sort of dry in your life, perhaps. Moses... How long did God work in Moses' life before he really used him? Well, 80 years. Some of you are over 80 years old here today, not too many. 80 years. I don't think I would have waited 80 years. I'm not talking about God, I'm talking about Moses now. I'm not sure I would have waited 80 years at all. But God knows, doesn't He? He knows what he's doing, and he can be trusted to accomplish the purpose that he has for our lives, for sure. Here's the last thing. Not only is spiritual growth an order or a command, it's not optional, it's also ongoing, but spiritual growth is for every person in this room who knows Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Well, it's in that simple command Grow, it's a simple word, one word grow. We've seen it means keep on growing. And here's what it also would indicate when you get really serious about understanding the words that are here. This one word grow, it's you all keep on growing. This is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's for every one of us. And aren't you glad it's for all of us? Because our growth enables us to be fruitful for the Lord. And it's in our fruitfulness that our own discipleship is verified and God is glorified because He says as much. He says, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in Him, that means depends upon Him, he who abides in me and I in Him, that person bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And he goes on to say, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Well, let's move on from the facts about spiritual growth to the means of spiritual growth. The first means is found in this passage of Scripture. Grow in what? The grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let's ask the question what is grace? There are all kinds of suggestions that have been made, and I like many of them. One I like is God enriching us, and it's reflected in the acronym GRACE. G R A C A. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a good definition. There are many good definitions, but let's see how this grace impacts us in order to really understand what it is. Grace is God's enlivening sinners. We talked about, we read about in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, where the Bible tells as a result of God's grace and His love, the result was He made us alive and in Christ. The Scripture says earlier in the book of Ephesians, as for you, talking to people who are saints, which simply means someone who is a follower of Christ, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but now you've been made alive by the grace of God. So, we have been... Here's the big term. It's not a big word, really. It's makes sense when you think about it. It's the theological term. We have been regenerated. We are dead and we have been brought to life. Just as Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead, we are dead and Christ comes and infuses His life in us. And therefore, if any man or woman is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Gospel of John says, But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man. Not by natural descent, is what born of blood would mean, or by the will of the individual, not that kind of birth, nor of the will of the parents of the individual who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. That means born from above. We're introduced to that later in the Gospel of John, where Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. A closer examination of the phrase born again is the idea of born from above. God has to give us this life. He regenerates us, and it's a function of His grace. It takes the grace of God enlivening us to borrow a term that is used in theological circles that will mean perhaps very little to you. It's the idea of a monergistic activity. It's God doing it all. He regenerates us. But then grace, we normally associate grace with that particular matter. But sanctification is important. And God empowers us who are saints in order to accomplish what He wants us to do. And this is the collaborative effort, by the way. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that without sanctification, you, he says, pursue sanctification because without it, You will not see God. So that behooves us, doesn't it? That would be a stimulus for us to want to pursue sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Literally, it means to be set apart. And practically, this is what sanctification is. It's spiritual growth. Becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you growing? Am I growing? I have to respond to the stimuli of God. Going back to what we looked at briefly from Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and act according to His good purpose. Do you see that's a synergistic, synergistic kind of relationship. God works in me and I respond to God. I'd like to read a little piece from a book that came into my possession and it is the writing of J.I. Packer. This is, listen to what he says about this matter of regeneration and sanctification. He says in regeneration, God implants desires that were not there before. When you came to Christ, did your desires begin to change? Let me ask you. Was it hard to understand? I mean, it was kind of puzzling. You were thinking thoughts you never thought you would think. And you were doing things you never dreamed you would do before. In fact, some in this room would have mocked people who are doing the things you're doing now. And you're reaping what you've sown, by the way. (laughs) In a good way. It's good to be mocked for the name of Christ. Not that we're looking for someone to martyr us, for sure. But new desires come into your heart. It's evidence that you have been regenerated. Here are some of the things that J.I. Packer suggests. Desire for God. Has your desire for God increased since you came to know Jesus? And is it still increasing? This is common for those of us who know the Lord and are growing. We can't get enough of the Lord. I had a conversation with a man just two days ago, a brother in Christ. And he was telling me, you know, I have such a hunger for the Word of God. And he was not trying to impress me. He and I have known each other for probably 24 years. He was not trying to impress me. We're honest with each other. We share our struggles in the Lord with each other. But it was true of him. Here he is. He's been a believer for probably 40 years now. And he's hungrier now maybe than he's ever been before in his life. His desire for God, for holiness, for the glorifying of God's name in this world. A desire to pray. Do you have a desire to pray? To worship. To love, to serve, to honor and please God. Desire to show love and bring benefit to other people. In sanctification, listen to this, the Holy Spirit, and He is the sanctifier, by the way, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Holy Spirit works in you to will and to act according to God's purpose. And what He does prompts you to work out your salvation. Wow, I love this. I'm pretty excited about this. I'm glad the Lord led me to teach on this today. I needed a refresher course on this. This happens for pastors and teachers many times. The thing that we need most is what God gives us when we're teaching people who are part of the flock of God. And it's a beautiful byproduct of that, being a teacher of the Bible, how it impacts our lives. So grace is God enriching us. God enlivening sinners, regenerating them, God empowering saints. The Bible second says in Second Timothy two one, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It gives us power for the journey. Because the journey is a journey that's pockmarked by suffering. Remember what Paul wanted? near the end of his life when he was an aged man. I want to know Christ. Did he not know Jesus before then? He'd been walking with Christ for 30 years. I want to know Christ. And I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. The power of His resurrection, but the fellowship of His sufferings. If anyone knew what suffering was about at that point in his life, he did. But he wanted to know how to deal with it and to know Christ in your sufferings, which are part of the package of your sanctification, your growth. Without trouble, you will not grow. Did you know that? James 1, 2, and 3 say, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be mature lacking in nothing. I will nor will you ever reach a point of spiritual maturity apart from trials in our lives. And God doesn't let them slip through a sieve of protection that He has placed around them, us. Rather, it comes by His command that we would be tried because He knows it's necessary for us to grow. The word grace... I'm going to make a bold statement here, is the most important word in the New Testament. You might say, oh, really? What about salvation? Well, grace is to salvation as cause is to effect. No grace, no salvation. By grace you have been saved through faith. How do I get saved? By grace. God describes himself in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10 as the God of grace. The Holy Spirit describes himself in Hebrews chapter 10:29 as the Spirit of grace. Jesus is described by Luke in Acts 15:11 as the Christ of grace. We read together from John chapter 1. And I'm only going to look at verses 16 and 17 speaking about Jesus. This is what John the Apostle says. John the Apostle says that of His fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. Grace is what Christ has given to us to save us. But grace is what Christ has given to us to empower us to live this life. The law was given through Moses, the Scripture says, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Jesus is full of grace and truth, John 1.14 says, and Jesus is the one who epitomizes, He personifies, He embodies grace. He is the one who is our Lord of grace. The security for the journey is bound up in our grace, acceptance in Christ. I hope you noted when we read from Ephesians 1, verse 6, chapter one little phrase. All of it's awesome. But one phrase about us. We have been accepted in the beloved. Think about that for a moment. That acceptance is not conditional. It's unconditional acceptance. The grace of God has come to us in the Gospel. More importantly, the grace of God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that grace has resulted in our being accepted in the Beloved. When God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah in the 31st chapter, and He's describing the New Covenant, that would be the New Testament as we know it, that would be the covenant that God made with us through Jesus, a new people would be formed. People whose lives are not based upon their performance, but based upon the work of Christ. Now, listen. You have been saved by works, but not yours. Yours will never save you. You have been saved by the work of God through the person of Jesus Christ. The work of Jesus was when He came and He died on the cross for you and for me and then he was raised from the dead this labor of incredible love self sacrifice so that we could be saved but here we are people who have been accepted in the beloved i wish we had time to go into great detail of this but let me go on in order to finish the message In 1 John 4, 18, the Bible says, Perfect love casts out fear. He who does not embrace love, I'm paraphrasing here, he or she who does not embrace the love that is his or her in Christ Jesus, if you don't accept the love that's in Jesus then you are yet to be perfected in love. You don't understand the magnitude and the comprehensiveness of Jesus' love for you. And God has loved you and He has accepted you in the Beloved. Now, let me ask you a question. How much does God the Father love Jesus His Son? How much? Sort of? 90%? 95%? 100%. Therefore, if you are in Christ, how much are you loved by Christ? 100%. Now, we do know, he tells us that those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Discipline is a function of his love. This does not mean that you and I will not be disciplined when we disobey. And we do disobey. But we need not fear being rejected by the Lord. This is why how frequently Jesus will say things like this. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will never drive them away. And He uses a form in the language of the New Testament that would translate that last phrase of John 6.37 this way. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will not never drive him or her away. I'm not going to throw you away. You're not someone who is disposable as far as Christ is concerned. You are a gift if you know Jesus, given by the Father to Jesus, who in turn has given you eternal life. And then one other, John 10, 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give eternal life, and they shall never perish. This is what He literally says, they shall not never perish. You're not going to lose your salvation. Now, that would lead someone to think here, and if you're thinking, you're with me, you probably already thought this, what would keep me from misbehaving then? I know I can get away with it. I can go out and commit adultery. I can go out and steal. I can go out and do whatever I want to because the Lord is not going to throw me away. He's not going to discard me. Well, the last part of what I said is true. However, what I mentioned earlier, when a man or a woman is in Christ, the desires of that person change. And you don't want to do those things that you did before you came to Christ anymore. And when you do them, you are miserable. I had a conversation last week with another man. And... He was telling me about a period in his life after he came to Christ that he was living in the pursuit of his sinful pleasures. And he said, I became so uncomfortable. I became convicted is the word which he used. And that's a good word. He was convicted of his sin by the Holy Spirit of God. But the Lord loves you if you're in Him. And He's not going to throw you away. Your status in his family is permanent. It's not based on your performance. Now, it is true that God does not get glory from his children who are dwarves spiritually. He doesn't get glory, but he doesn't dump us. But I guarantee you, I've been on both sides of this equation. It's much better to be growing than to be stagnant. When a river gets out of its banks, there's nothing to keep it going in a certain direction. It's out of its banks. Many times pools get isolated and they're full of all kinds of nasty things, aren't they? Disease and all kinds of things. So, stagnation leads to to corruption. And we need to continue to pursue Christ and grow. Well, here's the second aspect of the means to spiritual growth: grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowledge, we know this from our study of the Bible, has to do with intimacy with God. But in this case, it's not the normal word for knowledge. There's a prefix that's attached to the normal word for knowledge in the New Testament which carries with it the idea of not only the experiential side, the intimacy that we develop, but also it carries with it the idea of being instructed. The Bible says about itself in Romans 15:4, that whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. That's part of it. Knowledge is instruction about Jesus by Jesus. Look at Ephesians for a moment. We're going to look at two verses in the fourth chapter. Knowledge is instruction about Jesus by Jesus. Look at verses 20 and 21 of Ephesians 4. But you did not learn Christ in this way. So, what is the curriculum in the school of God training us? Jesus is the curriculum. If indeed you have heard Him and been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. Jesus is not only the curriculum, Jesus is the classroom in Him. And Jesus is the teacher. So, knowledge is instruction about Jesus by Jesus and John 5:39. Let's go there and take a look at these two verses in the Gospel of John chapter 5. John 5 verse 30 Yeah, 39. Thank you, Drew. It says, "You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me." The Scripture he was talking about is what we call the Old Testament. The Old Testament testifies about Jesus. Read it with an ear to hear what the Spirit might do, what Christ might teach you from the Old Testament. But look at verse 46, which underscores this. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. What did Moses write? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Who was the subject of Moses' writing? It was the person of Jesus. He was anticipating Christ. The Passover itself was an anticipation of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Christ is central to Scripture. Jesus gives us knowledge as He teaches us from His Word. Now, I mentioned George Mueller. And if you've never read anything about George Mueller, find something and read it. It will encourage you in your walk with Christ. It will make you want to grow in the Lord. This is what Mueller said when he was 71 years old. Speaking to younger believers, it's pretty normal when you're 71, you're going to be speaking to a lot of younger people, right? You hope, at least. This is what he wrote. Now, I would give a few hints to my younger fellow believers as to the way in which to keep up spiritual enjoyment. It is absolutely needful. We should read regularly through the Scriptures consecutively and not pick out here and there a chapter. If we do, we remain spiritual dwarfs. I tell you so affectionately. For the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress. Because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole Bible with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now, I have been doing this for 47 years. I have read through the Bible about a 100 times, and I always find it fresh when I begin again. Why? He was a growing Christian. And the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Dare you read the Scripture? You'll come alive because the Word of God is alive. You'll make correction where you need to make correction. Jesus will pinpoint attitudes and actions in your life that need to be corrected. And you will respond. If you are... A follower of Christ, you will want to read the Word and be in line with everything you learn from the Spirit of God. As Jesus teaches you, he goes on to say, Thus my peace and joy have increased more and more. He would say, by the way, about his daily time alone with the Lord, he said, For the first hour, I get my soul happy in the Lord. Happy in the Lord. Now, I was happy to find out in Psalm 85 is where he got that, how the Lord makes us happy. Now, we know the Lord didn't save us to be happy, but it's a beautiful byproduct. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy comes as we walk with the Lord, and God speaks to us. Now, a little later, I'm going to read one more slight passage from a different writing at the age of 76. Five years have passed. He said, I saw more clearly than ever at the age of 76 that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it. What is the food of the inner man? Not prayer, but the Word of God. Not the simple reading of the Word of God so that it only passes through our minds just as water runs through a pipe. But considering what we read, pondering over it, and applying it to our hearts. Meditating. That's what he was saying. Meditate on God's Word. How frequently? Day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Let's go into the second thing. in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Knowledge provides the goal of growth, Christ-likeness, which honors God. Jesus says to the Father the night before He died, He says, I have brought glory to you on the earth by accomplishing the work which you have given me to do. Jesus honored the Father by His life. We also will honor the Father by His life. Because Jesus, according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, is our life. How does that work? He lives in us. And when we are taught by Him, and we are empowered by Him to live the Christian life, then it will be His working through us. We will be in a synergistic relationship with Christ. It will be... He and you are He and I. We are yoked together, remembering what Christ said. He said, come to Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you shall find rest for your souls. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, and you shall find rest for your souls. Here's the last thing regarding growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Knowledge protects us from loose living. In Luke 6.46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That haunts me. Because there are times when I don't do what the Lord says. Does it bother you? It bothered David. In the book of Psalms, he says, My sin troubles me. If you can continue in sin and it not trouble you, you'd better check out whether you really do know the Lord. If you can excuse your sinful behavior, whether it's sin of action or attitude, sin that's confined to your heart, or it's expressed outwardly, if you and I can continue peacefully in that kind of behavior, we probably don't have the life of Christ in us. The good news is that... The grace of the Lord is revealed in this name that Peter chooses in this command to us. Keep on growing, all of you, in the grace of our Lord. That speaks of the truth of Jesus. He's full of grace and truth. Submission to the truth of the Word of God. His Word is truth. And... Our Savior, that speaks of grace. Jesus is full of grace and truth. If we know Jesus, we know Him in both dimensions. And we're as grateful for one as we are the other because of the way in which He works in our lives. The knowledge of Jesus in the sense of knowing Him as Lord stops our disobedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the mark of a growing Christian. Do you love him? If you love him, you'll be growing in him. And you won't be perfect. Remember, we don't ever arrive. We don't make excuses for our misbehavior. We acknowledge them, we confess them, we put them behind us, and we move on. And when we encounter another battle with our own flesh, we confront it, we listen to what God has to say, we draw on the Lord to give us the power to overcome such sinful attitudes or actions, and we go forward. And we keep going forward because we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy said before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. A quotation that I'd like to finish with this morning. Growth for growth's sake is the ideology of the cancer cell. Don't grow just so you can say you're growing. No. We grow for God's sake. For God's glory. If we were to Google this matter properties of living things, I did this, and there were about eight. I'm only going to talk about one. Living things grow, they're growing. You say, even old men like you, Mike, you're growing? Well, as I understand it, I've got new cells generating all the time in my body. I'm sloughing off old ones, and new are coming in their place. Thank God. Until I die, that'll be the case. So even old folks grow. I'm told that the nose and the ears keep growing. <laughs> and I've told my children, don't make a photo of me and put it in the paper when I die it shows me young and old at the same time because people won't know who they're looking at. <laughs> because the nose and the ears and other things will have grown or gone away. But we are to keep on growing. Do you know the Lord? Are you alive? Are you growing? Well, you could be stagnant. It may be that you're just stagnant spiritually. And you never have really been taught about growing. It's possible. Four years, George Mueller didn't grow. He didn't know how to grow. He didn't do it. He started growing. and What a life. What a life of enjoyment he had. He lived to be 92 years old. Amazing. And he served the Lord right up until he died. That's the way to go out, isn't it? Not hanging around waiting to die, but living until you die. It's Something we all can do, regardless of when our day comes. But if you don't know the Lord, seek Him. Reach out to Him. Jesus is the life. You think you got life? You don't have it until you know Jesus. And He will give you a full life designed to glorify God and to satisfy you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the privilege of being here this morning to worship You together through song, through prayer, looking into Your Word. And Father, we want to be growing Christians. We want a church that's growing, not by numbers necessarily. We know that will come when we are full of You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, for being my teacher. Thank You for being my classroom. Thank You for being the subject of our training. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.